Brand new weekend, another several editions coming your way. It's midday on the Rural Radio Network with information from, well, virtually all over the place. And we'll find out where's Susan this time around here. And we got to go way out west to find you today, my dear. You do. I'm all the way out in Anaheim, California. Commodity Classic gets underway officially tomorrow, but I've been out here with Fair Crop Science uh, learning more about a variety of different things. And then tonight I'll be learning all about bugs with uh, BASF. So it's, it's been a good time, good education, lots of great stories will be headed our way. I, I must ask, how is the weather in Anaheim this morning? Um, from what I'm looking at out the convention window, it looks sunny. <laughs> I haven't been outside yet, so yep. it does look like it could be a beautiful day. So I'll package that warm weather up and bring it back with me. All right. Well, we'll be happy to have some. Uh, we've got the sunshine, but we don't really have the temperatures. Uh, anytime we send our folks out there, and it sounds like they're going to, you know, sunny Southern California, that doesn't mean much sun for for our uh, correspondents generally. <laughs> they're they're a working bunch of dogs. That's what they are, to be quite honest with well, you. thank you. <laughs> thank Here, you very much. What do we have today, information-wise, from the ag team, Susan? Well, we've got a couple things we're working on. Bryce at 1219 will have on Austin Deerfeld in discussing switching from the hard copy tack record to your digital files, which is something that will make a lot of folks nervous on uh, not being able to see them tangibly in their hands. But he'll talk more about that. And then at 12.45, he does have an economist and educator about the way farms can become financially resilient, even with some tough agricultural economies headed our way. And then I have um, Dr. Be- Becky Langer on with me. She's the project manager for Bee Health with Bear Crop Science. And would you believe state of Nebraska is one of 11 states that have not applied for grants to help with bees? So we're going to talk more about that in the ways that uh, 4-H, FFA kids, schools, can get some grant money to put some bee projects together. All right. We'll look forward to it. Thank you, Susan. And over to Jason Jorgensen, recapping Huskers. Yeah, the Big Ten tournament pairings are set. Husker men and women know who they will be playing. The women came up just short to Maryland yesterday in a kind of a controversial ending with some of the foul calls. But uh, that's the way it goes, especially on the road. Lady Huskers, they end up as the third seed in the Big Ten tournament. The men, they had a must-win game against Penn State, and they were able to pick up the win. So they end up as the uh, fourth seed, and they'll begin play on Friday as well. KU was able to win yet another Big 12 regular season title over the weekend with their victory over Texas Tech. So we'll talk a lot coming up in sports about basketball, but then it is that time of year. Also, there is some baseball to talk about. Spring training is going on. Of course, there's a number of guys who still have yet to sign with the team, so they made up their own team of a fr- of free agents, <laughs> and they're actually playing games. I don't ever remember that happening. No, that's odd. Isn't but you know, the owners kind of slow-footed the players this year on getting guys signed, and yeah, there's still some decent guys out there looking for work. All right, we'll see how that goes. And what do you have in business, Bob Brogan? Stocks are climbing again as the markets continue to claw back from a sharp tumble last month. The U.S. Supreme Court is hearing arguments in a case that could deal a painful financial blow to organized labor. And uh, U.S. new home sales dropped in January. Those are some of the stories breaking news this hour. All of this and more coming your way in the next couple of hours on Midday. 
It's time for some ag weather, and it's brought to you today by Coolman Repair. Here is Paul Perkins. And a nice warm-up underway right now across the area. Absolutely. A little, little breezy, but we'll take this. Exactly. If it means some warmer temperatures uh, after the cold spell that we've been going through, we will take these uh, nice warm temperatures. Unfortunately, it does come with a little bit of fire danger. Exactly. Especially across extreme south-central and southeast Nebraska from about Elwood to Minden on over to Fairbury and then points to the south on into central and west Kansas. We do have a red flag warning in effect for today, but we are seeing those temperatures warm up quite nicely across the area. A lot of this in the upper 40s to the low 50s, still in those snow-covered areas from about Omacook to North Platte to Broken Bow. Temperatures still into the mid to upper 30s, but a lot of us once again in the upper 40s to the low 50s. Today, breezy and much warmer thanks to a southwest flow off of trough low pressure just off to our west over the high plains. That high fire danger in place across the drier areas of south central and southeast Nebraska in west and central Kansas, also where there's, of course, a little less snow covering. That wind will quickly die off this evening, and temperatures also quickly cooling tonight after sunset due to the dry air and clear skies. Our temperatures tomorrow are going to be cooler but seasonal as the cold front drops southeast through the region. Could see a little light precipitation on Wednesday and Wednesday night in the form of some light snow and drizzle. It's thanks to a weakening area of low pressure that's tracking across the southern plains. That area of low pressure, though, will be increasing in strength as it heads towards the Mississippi Valley later in the week. We will see a ridge of high pressure start to warm our temperatures back up to above normal by the end of the week. Then a cold front arrives Sunday late in the day, and that will return our somewhat colder weather the first of next week. In the long term, our temperatures for Nebraska and Kansas forecast to start right about near normal or seasonal levels this weekend. That cold front on late Sunday looks to keep our temperatures slightly cooler than normal Monday through March 11th, so an extended cold period potentially on the way, but not as cold as what we've been seeing. Our precipitation forecast stays somewhat active with near normal to above normal precipitation this weekend through about March 11th. In the markets, weather factors today include a tight grip of drought in Argentina and minimal precipitation for the southern plains, flooded areas of the Mid-South and Lower Midwest, getting a temporary reprieve from rain. That will return later on, though, across the Mid-South tomorrow and reach the central and eastern core belt with more rain by midweek. Mostly dry weather will prevail through the end of the week across the high plains. That dry pattern across the southern plains will continue the next 10 days where more rain is needed for wheat. When it breaks dormancy, large acreage abandonment from that drought is possible in the southern plains. Crop projections in Argentina's main row crop area is sharply lower than earlier season estimates from an exhausting dry trend. There are even comparisons being made to the harsh drought of 2008 to 2009. It will stay mostly dry in Argentina this next week. Towards Brazil, continuing wet conditions in Mato Grosso will cause delays to soybean harvest and second crop corn planting. That trend turning more unfavorable for corn development and late maturing soybeans. In South Brazil, conditions are drier and mostly favorable at this time. Ag weather is brought to you by Coolman Repair. Now, as we get to midweek, we'll get through a little bit of a precipitation probability. Does that amount to very much? Not looking like it. It's a system that's um, weakening as it comes out onto the plains from the Rockies, but later on in the week, it does strengthen the east of here, but right when it comes through our area, we're looking at just some light precipitation at best, and a lot of it's, the energy is also going to be to the south of us. All right. All right, well, we'll take whatever we can get at this point, I guess, and that's uh, something in any case. Thank you, Paul. Appreciate it. And, uh, of course, your ag weather brought to you by, as we mentioned, by Coolman Repair. And when you need weather anytime, krvn.com. 
slightly lower production pegged for corn and soybeans, but an increase in soy exports and higher protein production forecast pressures prices for livestock producers. I'm Shaley Peters joining you now for a midday check of Ag News here on the Rural Radio Network. USDA sees corn production down 1% and soybean production down 2% in the 2018-19 crop year as farmers won't quite match the yields they achieved in the 2017-18 year. USDA released various commodity outlooks on Friday morning as part of the annual Agricultural Outlook Forum. The forecasts give the first look at USDA's projections for crops and livestock in the 2018-19 marketing year. USDA's initial forecast for the 2018-19 crop also sees a bump in U.S. soybean exports by 200 million bushels, while corn exports will fall 150 million bushels and wheat exports will fall by 25 million bushels. That full report can be found at ruralradio.com. Along with the livestock outlook, demand for meat is going to remain firm throughout the rest of 2018, and U.S. livestock producers will continue to see favorable feed prices. But livestock producers are going to be pressured on market prices for beef, hogs, and poultry products because of increased production in most livestock sectors. The beef, pork, and broiler industries are all positioned for higher production and expansion. Exports also will rise for beef, pork, and poultry products as well, USDA predicts. And at their meeting on Thursday, the Central Platte Natural Resources District Board of Directors approved a contract with GEO Consulting Group to assist with planned developments to refine the understanding of drought vulnerabilities. GEO will develop an operational response framework of monitoring and forecasting tools specific to local triggers and actions for the district to consider during a drought. Mitigation efforts will be identified and prioritized to determine which response measures will be utilized during future drought events. Grant funds received for the project through the Water Sustainability Funds will pay for 60% of the cost. Other action and agenda items from Thursday's meeting included a cost-share report where the board approved 14 applications in the amount of $54,000 for brush management, pasture seeding, underground pipeline, planned grazing, center pivot incentives, steam bank stabilization, soil moisture sensors, and tree planting through the Nebraska Soil and Water Conservation and CPNRD cost-share programs. And President Trump has scheduled a meeting with cabinet officials and key senators to talk over potential changes to the nation's biofuel policy. The renewable fuels standard is coming under increasing attack after a bankrupt Pennsylvania refinery blamed its trouble on the regulation. The meeting is scheduled for next Tuesday. And finally, Purdue University researchers who designed specially sealed bags to keep insects from eating harvested grain are looking to go worldwide. The Purdue Improved Crop Storage Bag is designed to cut off the oxygen supply, eliminating insect damage in storage of dry grain without using chemicals. The Purdue Research Foundation says it was invented by entomology professor Larry Murdoch, who used grants from the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation to introduce it in several African nations over the past decade. The researchers created a company called PICS, Global Incorporated to sell the bags in larger countries such as India where they don't have a major donor to fund the project. The Research Foundation says the bags have reached more than 56,000 villages and at least 12.5 million bags have been sold. Find more ag news, audio and video as well as up-to-date market information by visiting ruralradio.com. That's a quick check of ag news here at a midday. I'm Shaley Peters and you're listening to the Rural Radio Network. 
Converting hard copy receipts into digital files. Good afternoon to you on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Bryce Duskett reporting. Austin Deerfelt is an agricultural systems economist extension educator and recently wrote an article on CropWatch about switching your hard copy files into digital files when preparing your taxes. Austin joins me now as we talk about this topic. And so, Austin, to begin, tell us some of the benefits of doing this. Yeah, there's there's a couple of benefits that go along with it. First of all, most everybody can probably vouch for the fact that if you're doing paper copies, either you're going to have boxes or storage cabinets all over the place in your house. Um, if you switch over to digital records, you're going to clean up that floor space that you can use it for something else. But in terms of actual record keeping, you've got twofold. One is you're going to have quick access to it. Um, as I mentioned in a digital records made easy article that I wrote, you can actually start attaching some of these receipts and stuff digitally to your um, accounting software that you're using. So if you ever get to a point where you're wondering, you know, why did I make that $500 entry to feed supply, instead of going and trying to hunt down that receipt, you can actually just click on the transaction and they'll pull it up. The second part of it is kind of, it deals with record retention as kind of a whole mindset type of a deal. When you're saving these invoices and stuff, the purpose of it is being able to have access to it. And one of my biggest fears anytime I'm doing something is, you know, what if worst case scenario house burns down? Are these records going to be safe that I can access them? And Austin, I'm sure you get this question often, so it's a good one we'll ask before getting into some of the software that you recommend. But is it legal with the IRS to use these scan documents? Yeah, it's it's actually kind of an old proclamation that they came out with, but Revenue came out with 97-22. And basically, in a nutshell, it, it gives out specific guidelines as to how the process has gone about. And the main concern that they want is just that it's, it's a copy that's identical to the actual receipt. So if they want to be able to pull out a date or an invoice number or a quantity amount, they can actually see it on that digital copy. So as long as you've got an image that mirrors exactly like what the original was, that should satisfy their needs. And Austin, do you have any recommendations or tips when it comes time to finding a software to use? If you're going to go about the process, don't be afraid to... Spend a little bit of money to get it set up right. I know a lot of people probably have, you know, all-in-one printers that have copy scan beds, and and those will work. But I'm going to tell you that it's it's going to be a tedious process. And there's some options out on the market that are a little bit quicker, a little bit faster. They'll scan both sides at once, and they give a bit of a sharper image over some of those all-in-one units. And as we wrap up here, Austin, talk about the physical copies. If if you switch to digital, do you need to keep the physical copy? And if so, how long? The way the your paper copies, you've got options. You can go ahead and keep them if you want to. I mean, there's nothing to say once you scan them that you have to keep them. You can shred them right after you scan them as long as you're sure that you've got that digital image secured and backed up. But in terms of how long you have to keep these records, um, that's going to be one of those questions that you'll probably want to talk to your CPA with. There's a couple of different record retention schedules that you have to follow. That was Austin Deerfelt, an agricultural systems economist extension educator based out of the Nebraska City office. On the Rural Radio Network, I'm Bryce Duskit reporting.
You're listening to Midday on the Rural Radio Network. Time to check sports with Jason Jorgensen. Hey, thanks, Dirk. Well, Senior Day turned out to be one to remember for the Nebraska men's basketball team as they led wire to wire to knock out Penn State in a must-win game, 76-64. That is Nebraska's 22nd victory of the year. And senior guard Evan Taylor says it was a fun day. When I was in the tunnel waiting, I kind of got emotional. Like, man, like, everything I had to do to get here, you know, you know, it's been a journey. But, you know, God always puts us where we're supposed to be at the right time. And I think uh, my time here in Nebraska was perfect timing. My two years here, you know, I wish I could have played four years here, but... You know, I'm glad that, you know, the whole community accepted me and, you know, that we were able to finish strong. Isaac Copeland recorded a double-double with 17 points and 12 rebounds as Nebraska finishes up the regular season at 22-9. and They are 13-5 and in the Big Ten. That's the most conference wins in a season in school history. They also finished up undefeated at home in conference action for the first time since the mid-60s. The Huskers now get a bye in the Big Ten tournament. They won't play again until the quarterfinals on Friday afternoon. The Husker women rallied from a 14-point deficit with less than 15 minutes to play and actually took a late lead, but eventually lost to 13th-ranked Maryland on the road, 77-75. Huskers slipped to 20-9 and overall. They were 11-5 and in Big Ten action. They are the third seed in this week's upcoming Big Ten tournament. Speaking of basketball tournaments, the finals are set for the GPAC. The women's final has top-seeded Concordia at home against Dakota Wesleyan. That one starts at 7 tomorrow night in Seward. The men's championship features top-seeded Morningside hosting third-seeded Northwestern. That one begins tomorrow night at 7 in Sioux City. The Husker baseball team, they're off to a decent start. They are 5-3 and three after they knocked off Utah for a second time this past weekend, winning it yesterday 7-4 to four as part of the Big Ten Pac-12 Challenge. The Huskers are back on the road this week visiting Wichita State for a three-game series. That gets underway on Friday afternoon. And baseball free agents will play two exhibition games this week against a Japanese amateur team. Major League Baseball Players Association says the games against J.R. East will take place at the IMG Academy in Bradenton, Florida. More than four dozen players remain unsigned among the 166 who exercised their right to become free agents last November. That's a look at sports. Have a great day. I'm Jason Jorgensen. Stay tuned. More Midday is just ahead. You are listening to the Rural Radio Network. Red flag warnings are posted this afternoon for parts of South Central and Southeast Nebraska. I'm Dave Schroeder. Downey Drilling was honored by the Lexington Area Chamber of Commerce Friday evening with their Business of the Year and Agri-Service Awards. The company took over a Lexington well drilling business in 2005 and grew its operations to serve several states with agriculture and municipal water services. Tom Downey spoke of a rough time in the early growth period of the company and its future as a key location over the Ogallala Aquifer. And when things get dry and everything's coming this direction, I had a cattle feeder tell me when I first got here that the cattle are coming north, and they are, is because of feed and water. And we're we're truly the breadbasket of the world right through here. And we have a sustainable resource, we have a great agricultural community, we have a good mix of industry, and we have the best people that I know. We wouldn't want to be in any other place. Downey Drilling expanded into a new headquarters facility this past year and employs more than 30 people. Downey also expressed his thanks to the city of Lexington with their assistance in the expansion project along with general contractor Paulson Incorporated of COZAD. 
Nebraska lawmakers have advanced new sexual abuse reporting requirements designed to protect state wards, detain juveniles, and other at-risk youths. Lawmakers gave the measure first-round approval today with a 37-0 vote. The proposal by Senator Sue Crawford of Bellevue would require reporting of all allegations of sexual abuse of state wards, juveniles on probation, detained juveniles, and juveniles in a residential child-caring agency. Reports will go to the Office of Inspector General of Nebraska Child Welfare, which reports to the legislature. State agencies are already required to report cases of death or serious injury to the Inspector General. The Supreme Court is divided in a major organized labor case, Janus versus the American Federation of State, County, and Municipal Employees, over fair share fees that non-members pay to help cover the cost of contract negotiations. The justices were split four to four when the issue came up two years ago, but that was before Justice Neil Gorsuch was seated. The issue is whether it is unconstitutional to require non-members to contribute to public sector unions they choose not to join. Labor expert Michelle Kaminsky from Michigan State University said if the justices side with Janice, public unions would have to work on behalf of people that aren't paying for the benefits. When employees are covered by a contract, everybody who's in that bargaining unit gets the benefits of that contract. They get increased wages, benefits, terms and conditions of employment. Nebraska's union membership rate is just under 10%, with about 78,000 workers represented by unions. Our app is a perfect companion to your phone. Download it free in the App Store or Google Play. Reporting from the KRVN News Center, I'm Dave Schroeder. From $8 corn in 2012 to $3 corn in 2018, farmers do not need to be reminded that the agricultural economy is not as strong as it has been in previous years. Margins continue to narrow for producers, and a new report shows that the number of farms and ranches in the state of Nebraska at 47,400 was down 1,000 farms from 2016. Now, as 2018 progresses, there are factors that you can consider for your operation to be financially resilient. Robert Tigner, Agricultural Systems Economist Educator, joins me now as we discuss some of those factors to consider. Now, Robert, as you look at farms that are profitable, what are some of those factors that stand out that they do that make them more resilient? Well, one of the things that uh, those highly profitable farms do is that they are consistently controlling costs in each and every item that they purchase, each and every item that they use for their uh, cropping operation. They are looking for ways to reduce costs. For instance, um, if you uh, apply nitrogen, they those highly profitable farms are trying to find the point of most profitable nitrogen. They don't add excess nitrogen or excess P and K, but just as an insurance policy, uh, they add only the right amounts that produce the the most profitable yield. So so that lends to their thinking about what is their their job in in managing their their costs. Their jobs produce the highest profitable uh, level of production, not necessarily the highest yields. Um, the yields that uh, are typically most profitable are somewhat below that highest yield. Then a couple of other things that they do too is that they talk with um, the whole family operation. Um, 
as uh, you know profits went up uh, family livings went up and sometimes those family living uh, amounts are are difficult to uh, take back you know um, but there's a lot less revenue now than there what than there used to be just you know three or four years ago available for family living so that 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 conversation the tough conversation between family members about you know what do we really need for family living that's another part that uh, allows them to be more resilient in in this downtime and income these are frankly kind of tough conversations to have as you and i were talking about before we began recording so do you have any advice as people go through these conversations whether it's a landlord or within a family of how to approach this topic well, one of the things that uh, tenants and landlords need to understand is each other's points of view, um, and I'm sure that a lot of them already do. But one of the things that that uh, tenants can do is to really open up about their finances to the uh, the landlord. Um, some of those financial uh, discussions should take place so that, for instance, a a, a tenant takes a crop enterprise budget and shows the landlord this is really what I can pay for that for that land that you would like to rent to me and and that can be a difficult uh, conversation between the two parties one way to uh, ease that up a little bit is to have a flexible lease so that if higher prices came or really exceptionally good yields came in a year then that landlord shares in that that better production, that better price environment than they would have otherwise. Uh, so share the financial uh, prospects with your your tenants, uh, excuse me, with your landlord, so that uh, they understand fully what the new economic environment is. I'm sure one of the most important things across the board as you look at this is just increasing revenue from some way or some form. And so talk about the non-farm income and how important that can be as you look at resilient farms. Well, um, that can add uh, a significant amount to um, the, um, the money available for family living. You know, if, if there is uh, some time that a, a, a farmer has available that they could be doing something else, um, that would add income that makes some sense uh but if that for instance is a job or some kind of uh off-farm business that they've got operating that takes away from uh, managing the farm they may actually reduce their farm revenue more than the off-farm business so for instance uh there's a there's a lot of farmers around that have semis and uh one farmer told me his semi sits 42 weeks out of the year, so at home, and so that semi might be able to produce, uh, you know, more income for that farmer if he were able to uh, to either rent it to somebody or to uh, to do something with it that they could uh, produce revenue with, you know, pull cattle, pull other grain for other farmers, etc. So. You have to make sure, however, when you do something like this, an off-farm business, some other kind of operation, that you're capturing all of your variable costs and that you're not reducing 
um, your family, uh, your family income as well. Certainly some important factors to consider. Robert Tigner, Agricultural Systems Economist Educator. We've been talking about characteristics of financially resilient farms. If you'd like to learn more, you can log on to cropwatch.unl.edu and just search for characteristics of a financially resilient farm. On the Rural Radio Network, I'm Bryce Duskin. Next, let's get a review of these livestock futures trade from Joe Teal, Great Plains Commodities. Joe? Yeah, not a real good day for uh, livestock. Uh, pretty much uh, down all the way across, but uh, the cattle did make a little bit of a rebound here at the end uh, uh, to kind of shave some of the losses. But uh, yeah, it really came from uh, the cattle on feed report and uh, the cash trade that uh, was disappointing last week. Uh, you couple those two together and put a little pressure on the uh, market right right from the get-go. And uh, we did try to uh, rally in the mid-session and then uh, uh, fell again and then came back just a bit in the end. Cutouts were just a little bit higher. Uh, volume in the box is pretty light. So there wasn't really much uh, there other than the uh, uh, information that we had received on, uh, on Friday, and that would have been the cash trade and the uh, cattle on feed report. Over in the hogs, uh, just uh, lower. Uh, and I think there's big concern over uh, the, the uh, amount of pork in uh, in the cold storage, plus the fact that uh, we seem to be have uh, an availability of numbers. But uh, cash was higher uh, this morning uh, in the early trade. But uh, futures uh, kind of ignored that and uh, came under some pressure. Cutouts, like I say, were higher, but uh, really no consequence there. So uh, lower. So we ended up uh, starting out the week on a lower note right straight across the board. Thanks, Joe. Joe Teal, Great Plains Commodities. Call them at 800-328-0134. Total cattle slaughtered today put at 117,000, 2,000 more than the same Monday one year ago. This is the Rural Radio Network. Bear Crop Science holds their advocacy event every year ahead of Commodity Classic. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Dr. Becky Langer joined us. She is a project manager for Bee Health, talking about a program that's available and many states, 11 to be exact, have yet to apply for some sort of grant funding. Here's my conversation with Becky. The work that Bear has continued to do on the, the Bee Initiative, and you guys have some funding that's folks need to request and looking at the states of kansas nebraska colorado and iowa there's nothing from there we need to get those folks excited about getting this established with the bees we do we need your help in getting excitement there we have the feed a bee grant initiative which is a continuation of our forage and habitat feed a bee program and what the grant program is organizations or individuals put in a, a very brief application at feedabee.com and they get grants in the, the form of $1,000, $2,500, or $5,000 to install forage and habitat. And really, the main criteria in addition to that is have an educational purpose. So it's a perfect opportunity for Boy Scouts, 4-Hers, FFA groups, uh, church groups, rotary groups, anyone wanting to get involved in bee health to put out some bee forage and habitat and hold an educational day and get grant funding. So for somebody who's hearing this and hearing you talk about it, what does it really entail for them to do in filling out the application and then fulfilling that? 
that grant opportunity? Sure. As I said, the application is very brief. You go to feedb.com, request more information. Um, it's maybe two pages of short questions. Just what size of uh, plot would you be planting? Who is your organization? Have you partnered with anyone locally? And what is that educational component? You then, um, once you're awarded the grant, it's really up to your own schedule when you want to plant, how you conduct your education activity, and then you provide us quarterly updates for a year or two on, on what you're doing. So a pretty simple process really for the, the, the return on investment and how good you feel for helping the bees. And it amazes me that in such core states of agriculture, there's been no funding asked for yet. I agree. I, I was very surprised when I looked at that. The goal is to plant in all 50 states by the end of 2018. We've got 11 states left. And with these four core states having hardly no applications, I, I couldn't believe it. They're such strong agriculture communities. What has been some of the feedback from other states that have participated in this program? Oh, that has been fascinating. We had a school in Alabama that planted a, a garden on their, their school. All kinds of curriculum activities they're doing with the school from K through 8th grade. We've had another conservation group in uh, Missouri sending us outstanding updates. They've got the Department of Transportation working with them and other conservation groups. All the way to California in an urban garden that has it in a um, kind of a park where weekend crowds are coming through and getting the information so everyone has been positive feedback that they really enjoyed the the outreach that they get with it with our communities well, I love the fact that the maybe the attitude and the thought of what a bee is all about has definitely seen some changes. Absolutely. People are more cognizant of, of taking care of those pollinators and what a bee means, that the bee is helping them to eat healthy. Um, people are recognizing more that there's additional challenges. We've always known the parasites and the pests are big. We know that insecticides have to be used properly when working around those. But really the word is getting out on the forage and habitat and that being so critical and that every little bit makes it helps those bees. So whether it's a flower pot or acres of land, being devoted it's helping them and people are getting on board and it's just a simple process i mean anybody can become a part of it to be there to help the bee you can and particularly because bees like such a wide range of forage and habitat whether that's a, a blooming tree in your yard to a, a pot of herbs growing on the patio or uh, milkweed for the monarchs out there they're they're all pollinators and they have a broad diversity of plants that they're drawn to in anaheim california i'm sizzle littlefield on the rural radio network Grain markets today, we saw wheat lead the way higher. No, excuse me, winter wheat futures. That pulled up corn, but soybeans eroded during the day and ended up mixed. We're with John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst, Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter, This Week in Grain. It looked promising for soybeans for quite a while. Yeah, we have a lot of rolling going around right now, given the, the time of the year. Uh, end of the month, we got kind of figure out what we're going to be set up uh, for March delivery. So you're seeing a lot of wackiness in the spreads. We saw um, really corn, as far as front-month corn, really blow out against May. And what that tells me is you've seen a lot of, lot of money moving out of the March contract into the May contract. And on the bean side, you might be seeing it move out old crop beans into new crop beans, which, uh, you know, did was a, was a trade you saw today. Um, you know, nothing's changed, really, forecasts have kind of remained the same here what i think you've got going on is a nice nice acres battle really between cotton and beans in my opinion although corn is certainly involved um and then on the wheat side it's about the uh, crop for tonight we finally get something to feed the bull okay overall you look at november soybean contract there were opportunities for some action there some selling correct I, I think you know getting something locked in here, uh, taking the you know the play out of last year's book would have been something I think guys should look at doing. Although I wouldn't be overly bearish at this price. I, I think you know it's it's. 
still an acreage battle, and you know if things aren't going to uh, improve South America-wise, you know there could be some more press on on the U.S. to produce. And again, a lot of the the upward price action that you know somebody who's bullish like myself would be talking about would be down the road. You know, once we get into the summer row crop season here in the U.S., because the, the the weather threats we're seeing down in South America certainly are they're going to take a bite out of the global production, but nothing compared to what we'll see if the U.S. would lose 10 to 15 percent of production. So that's kind of what you want to save some fuel for if you want to sell it on the road. And your reaction here to corn being higher, or have we got some more upward moves? I think you, you do. I, I mean, very similar to last week where we rallied, opened up higher, and then, you know, didn't want to give it all back, though, mid-morning. I don't know if a lot of that had to do with wheat, but, you know, corn, again, is a lot of the selling is going to come from the front of the curve here in the short term as folks look to produce, and then down the road, I think it all comes to the December. So, again, if I'm looking to re-own, I think buying old crop makes a lot more sense than going out and buying something like December, although I would be patient here. I, I think you have a shot to buy May in the high 360s. That would be where you want to be long. If you do want to buy here, just save some fuel that you can put into the gas tank at that price. Thanks, John. John Payne. Senior Marketing Analyst, Daniels Ag Marketing Chicago. Go to danielsagmarketing.com. Corn finishes the day one and three quarters to two and three quarters higher. Old crop soybeans, three quarters to two lower. New crop up two and a half. Kansas City wheat, eight and a half to nine cents higher. This is the Rural Radio Network.